Life's complicated. Faith shouldn't be. But for many people around the world, church is a place where they don't feel welcome, safe, or able to thrive. I'm Kit Kennedy, and I believe that questioning is good, logic is God-given, and a well-examined faith is a strong one. So if faith and spirituality are a heck yes for you, but church is a hard pass, welcome to Unchurchable. Today's topic stumbled into my lap while I was trawling through the infinite scroll on social media, something I'm sure a lot of us are doing during this pandemic. It was the topic of the life-saving divorce. It is a contentious topic for many. I watched with wide eyes as allegations of spousal abuse within some large Bible Belt organisations broke in 2018. In terms of the news cycle, it was overshadowed a little bit by the Me Too movement that was happening in Hollywood, but it still mattered. There seemed to be this Christian narrative that a good Christian woman, or indeed a man, stays in a marriage no matter what. Now, this is noble. We all want till death do us part. But sometimes life just isn't that simple, and till death do us part just isn't possible. Should a person stay in a marriage if it is unsafe, abusive, neglectful, or otherwise untenable? Should that person be judged or ostracized by Christian institutions because the perfect scenario didn't quite work out? As late as 2018, it was clear this question hadn't been put to rest yet. Now, I will say that there are some churches out there, hopefully the majority of them, that treat divorcees with dignity and all the inclusion and love that they deserve. I truly hope that yours is one of them. Now, it's hard to get good data on Christian divorces versus non-Christian divorces. In 2008, the Barna Research Group put the percentage of Christians divorcing 3% higher than atheists or agnostics. The argument came out at this time that the number wasn't a true representation of relationship breakdown as atheists or agnostics were supposedly more likely to live together prior to or instead of tying a knot. But however that cookie crumbles, here's the thing. With up to 84% of Christians marrying and 33% of them divorcing, we need to have a good hard look at the topic of faith and divorce, inclusion and restoration of people who have been through a relationship breakdown. Enjoy today's session. I'm talking with author Gretchen Baskerville. Hello and welcome to this episode of Unchurchable. I'm your host, Kit Kennedy, and I'm here with an absolutely fascinating woman. I came across Gretchen Baskerville on uh, Twitter, actually, and she was talking about a taboo topic for evangelical Christianity, especially, and it's the topic of divorce. Um, she has just this month uh, launched a book that I think is a really important one for a lot of Christians if they're going through this process or even if they want to understand friends of theirs who have faced some difficulty in their lives. It's called The Life Saving Divorce, and it is hope for people leaving destructive relationships. Thank you for being here today, Gretchen. How are you? I'm fine, Kit. How are you? I'm very good. And we're both kind of on lockdown, surviving the corona pandemic and doing our best to stay happy during it. How are you finding the whole thing? Well, I'm spending a lot of time at home. And when I do go out to the store, I'm I'm putting on my old um, N95 uh, coronavirus mask. <laughs> uh, I live in a, a wildfire area. And so you Australians are familiar with that so we usually keep wildfire kits in our homes and that means I have an old uh, (laughs) non-sterile N95 smoke mask which also works for COVID-19 and that's what I wear to go out grocery shopping and 
and so forth. Yeah. So we're taking it very seriously. I'm in California, and we have one of the largest outbreaks. So we're we're being extra cautious. Yeah. Well, um, I actually live just on the edge of um, East Gippsland at the moment. So you would have seen that in the news. Mm. East Gippsland uh, was kind of ground zero for, for global warming over the course of the last few months. And now that we've got through that, we're on lockdown for COVID, but we're doing a bit to... Uh, keep our minds off the news and on the practical things that we can do to keep ourselves sane. And one of these things has been for me to start a podcast. So, um, which I'd been meaning to do for a long time. So I want to ask you the life-saving divorce, how did this become a passion project for you and how did you end up in this space? Well, that's a great question. So I was brought up in a wonderful evangelical home, a great, genuine Christian parents went to church from the day I was born, never thought I would go through a divorce, yeah. did everything right. You know, um, I'm a baby boomer, so I had already married long before I Kissed Dating Goodbye and those kinds <laughs> of books came out. But we had our own version of purity culture books that yeah. told us, you know, exactly how to date and how to do it right. And so I did everything right. You know, I, I met a guy at church and he asked my father permission to even date me. And mm -hmm. of course, we weren't allowed to have our hands anywhere that a bathing suit covered. That was our <laughs> rule back in uh, for us baby boomers. And so I did basically everything right. You know, I was a virgin on my wedding night and the white dress and the huge church wedding. And I never believed in a million years that I would be a divorce statistic. Yeah. Uh, because the church had promised me that if I did everything right, I would have yes. this close, intimate uh, marriage and mind-blowing sex. So <laughs> I was going to raise that. I was like, can you talk about that on a podcast? But, I think yeah. you can. <laughs> and then you leave your wedding, you're like, all right, all right, I, I know all of the things. I got this. And you're like, oh, holy wow. No, no, I do not got this. <laughs> Right, right. And and I knew that there were some problems before we got married. And mm -hmm. in fact, we had already been seeing a pastoral counselor. But instead of leaning toward his academic studies and taking a look at our problems and saying, you know what, I can tell from uh, academic literature that this just isn't ever going to resolve itself very well. Mm -hmm. Instead, he leaned toward kind of the Christian narrative of marriage, which is marriage matures you, marriage will fix a lot of problems, mm -hmm. uh, marriage will, um, uh, marriage is, is the cure-all. And in my case, I came from this lovely family and my husband-to-be came from an alcoholic and multiple addiction family. Wow. And so my, the pastoral counselor just said, well, you know, your love, the love of Christ in you is going to heal the wound in his heart from his childhood trauma. Ugh. And uh, so that's what we were led to believe, that you know our love was going to fix everything, and that if our love didn't fix everything, God was going to miraculously uh, take care of our marriages. So it really didn't matter who you married, 
because yeah. God would miraculously fix it. Or if he didn't miraculously fix it, it was probably your fault because you as the godly spouse just right. needed to try harder or pray more or maybe you needed to fast or maybe you just weren't attending church enough. Mm -hmm. So all of these, what I call myths, and I have a whole chapter of 27 myths mm -hmm. about divorce that probably aren't true for committed Christians. Um, these were all thrown at us. You know, maybe yeah. you should submit more. Maybe you need to be nicer. Maybe you need to more, be more sexually available. And this will fix everything. And that was the message we heard. That's It's so interesting because I grew up in the thick of purity culture. So um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye was my kind of Bible, <laughs> aside from, you know, the real Bible. And it's been really interesting now watching Josh Harris um, deconstruct his faith and actually walk away from um, his faith and his marriage has, has broken up. And I thought that was so sad. But what I also thought was so sad was watching him actually go through the process of making a documentary about the damage that purity culture did and take a lot of that blame on himself. But I'm hearing from you, this predated Josh Harris by a long time. It predated Rebecca St. James and, you know, that song waiting for you. And um, I like what I'm hearing is even in those pastoral counseling sessions, which would have been so common across, you know, churches everywhere, it's putting a lot of burden on on the wife or on the husband to actually fix the other person, and that's really not a burden that a marriage is made to carry. Um, I mean, obviously, we can support each other through all sorts of things, but if we're actually placing that burden on somebody else to fix us, like surely that has the potential to become toxic really fast. What, what would you say to that? Well, absolutely. Then what happens is then there's a blame shifting that happens. Mm -hmm. So it never, the person who is behaving badly, and in this case, my husband had a sexual addiction yeah. that was very damaging. And so the then the church doesn't really have any answer for this because the church's narrative is that God can heal anyone, God mm -hmm. can fix anyone, anyone who attends church and and uh, verbalizes repentance and confession and a desire to stay in their marriage. Well, you just have to take them back. And yeah. so, um, you know, and if you don't take them back, if you don't forgive and forget this incident and the next incident and the next incident mm -hmm. and the next incident, then somehow you're the problem. So the blame mm -hmm. gets shifted to the healthier and often the more godly spouse for mm -hmm. not being able to fix someone. And we have to remember that Jesus didn't fix everybody he came across. So that's putting an unfair burden on on the spouse who is highly invested and highly committed to the safety and the respect in the marriage. Yeah. That is so true. Now, you've obviously been in this evangelical space and you've been counseling couples and working with couples for 20 odd years now, haven't you? Well, I'm mainly in the divorce recovery space. Yeah. So I'm yeah. dealing primarily with the aftermath. I'm dealing mm -hmm. with the people who said, I had to get out, but my church doesn't accept me. You're the first person to tell me I can hold my head up. Uh, and and to be proud, I mean the right sense of pride, yeah. uh, that I got out and I protected myself and my children from a very destructive situation. And, and when I talk about life-saving divorce, I'm not claiming that all divorces are life-saving. Yeah, I'm course. claiming about half 
of divorces, at least here in America. I don't know what they are for you all, mm -hmm. but they are for very serious reasons, very destructive mm -hmm. reasons, a pattern of infidelity or physical violence or mental abuse, what they call cruelty. Yeah. Um, Sometimes there can be a severe neglect of duty due to addiction. So yeah. a person who's squandering the family resources uh, through gambling or through drugs and alcohol, and they're not safe, and they're not making the marriage safe or respectful or loving. That's really interesting. I actually posted a piece on my blog a couple of weeks ago about the Duluth wheel. Um, and for those mm. listening at home, that's D-U-L-U-T-H. The Duluth wheel um, was really something that, that was very enlightening for me because it showed that abuse dynamics aren't always he hits me or she hits me because um, obviously we know that domestic abuse can happen to men as well. Exactly. But um, the Duluth wheel shows that it's patterns of control and coercion and it can be financial, it can be emotional, it can be sexual, it can be patterns of neglect or blame shifting. So that, that Duluth wheel, um, which I'll pop up, pop up on my socials again, um, really does show that it's not just physical abuse that can cause a relationship to become toxic. So I, I want to ask... What have you found to be the most difficult thing that uh, that Christians face during the divorce recovery stage when it comes to engagement with church and faith? Well, I think the biggest problem is that the, we have received messages from our birth about mm -hmm. what kind of people divorce. So the kind of people, uh, we were always told that the kind of people who divorce are quitters, that they're they took the easy way out, that they were just looking for the grass is greener. <laughs> and in reality, as I've already mentioned, half of divorces are for a pattern of very serious behavior. And yet our churches don't acknowledge that. They had mm -hmm. access to that data, but they never acknowledged it. So they kept giving us sermon after sermon. I'll give you an example. I got a phone call from one of the women in my divorce recovery group one Sunday afternoon. She said, did you hear the pastor's sermon today? I said, no, what did he say? She said, he said five times in one sermon, if you walk away from your marriage, you're walking away from Jesus. Oof. Oh. oh. Ooh, that's just <laughs> basically saying you've lost your faith if you divorce. Oh, and wow. then uh, I, as she said, if I had not been in your divorce recovery group, I would be on the floor right now in fetal position. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Another thing, another pastor said from the pulpit multiple times. In fact, he said it so many times. Even my married friends were coming to me and saying, he said it again last week. Yeah. He said it again. And what he said is, divorce never makes anything better. It just gives you different problems. And I was working three quarters of the women in my group were <laughs> domestic violence victims. Of course, divorce makes something better for them. You know, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't feed me that line. I know better. Yeah. And I mean, there is provisions in the Bible for, um, for, divorce under certain circumstances isn't there i might be testing your theology a little yeah, bit here, yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. yeah so exodus 21 9 through 11 
gives us the ability to divorce for physical abuse or neglect and emotional mm -hmm. abuse or neglect. Mm -hmm. And of course, the words of Jesus uh, talk about infidelity and sexual morality, immorality. Mm -hmm. And Paul talks extensively on uh, abandonment. But in that same section of 1 Corinthians, he also talks about um, people who are greedy, liars, um, let me just pull, pull, uh, don't even associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister who's sexually immoral, immoral greedy, verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Oh my yeah. goodness. If yeah. that applies to the church, how much more does that apply to a marriage where it's 24-7? Yeah, now that's, that's really interesting because... Uh, as I'm kind of sitting in this space of, I, I suppose, deconstructing the the um, almost, I'd say, almost fundamentalist um, belief systems that I'd carried, purity culture is one that I've come up against, and I'm like, okay, so what does what does sexual immorality mean in this kind of pluralistic context these days? Um, does it mean that you, like you said before, you don't touch anything under the swimsuit area and you don't kiss before marriage? And what is this? We have to have a bit of a think about um, what our sexual ethic is, um, and obviously there's there's you know a biblical standard on that. But what do we do in terms of you know self judgment or or any of that kind of stuff? If there's you know um, if there is a divorce or if we do kind of um, make a decision that we later grow to regret, what what do you tell people in the divorce recovery stage? How do you guide them through accepting their decision, accepting themselves um, mm. as a worthy creature in God's eyes, and then through dating again? Like you, you, um, you said that you you've remarried, and it took you twenty years to find your guy. And now that you've found him, you're not letting COVID nineteen anywhere near him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, let's let's address that one on sexual immorality. I just read that verse from First Corinthians five. But let's look at everything that's in that verse. It's all about power over, oh, right? Okay. So power over uh, uh, greed, uh, oh being verbally abusive, mm -hmm. being a swindler. Mm -hmm. In that context, sexual immorality is about power over, taking advantage okay. of someone sexually. And I think that's the way you look at that. But... Um, Awesome. But going yeah. going back to um, how how do we release people from the shame? Okay, when you've been mm -hmm. brought up in an evangelical church and and home, I should say both, mm -hmm. you're just inculcated from the very beginning that divorce is the worst thing you can pass possibly do. And I interviewed a lot of people for for this uh, book who actually said that their youth pastor had told them that premarital sex and divorce mm -hmm. were the unpardonable sin. Mm -hmm. Now, we know yes. there's no basis for that, but, mm -hmm. you know, the church does have a tendency to want to threaten people uh, into morality rather than, you know, other, other methods. And um, that's just very dangerous to do because then when a person does need a life-saving divorce, then they're filled with self-loathing. And um, I think we have to ask ourselves, for those of us who have faith in God but don't have much faith in many of his churches, um, you know, do we really believe that God cares more about your marital status than he does mm -hmm. about you and your children? 
I mean, is that the God we believe in? That is so interesting to me because I, I strongly relate with that sense that um, premarital sex or divorce are unpardonable sins. But biblically, the unpardonable sin, the only one that's listed is, I think, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so we judge ourselves so harshly against these, you know, these standards and the shame that we carry if, if there's, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, a stuff up. Um, I find this really, really interesting because, uh, and, and I find it really interesting what you're saying about the power over. So how do we work through shame? How do we work through the guilt if we've found ourselves in a situation where our marriage didn't work out or our marriage is not going to work out? How do we give ourselves permission to then, you know, move through that I know well, I think we have question. to read. Yeah. We really have to reject those myths. Okay, yeah. so I posted this on the socials. Divorce is not evidence of moral decay in our society. Tolerating abusive marriages is. Boom. <laughs> I love that. And I got 3,000 upvotes in five days. I couldn't mm. believe it. And mainly they're from the countries that don't allow divorce, like the Philippines. Yeah. And um, so we have to reject these myths that all, all divorce is sin or all divorce is bad. We yeah. have to reject the myth that all divorce is bad for kids, that mm -hmm. all divorce will lead to lifelong deep unhappiness for you mm -hmm. and your children, that all divorce, uh, that all, this is a good one, all divorcees bring their problems into their next marriage. So that one's doomed too. <laughs> I mean, um, therapy is great. I am a huge advocate for therapy. Like, you know, just do it. <laughs> regardless of regardless of the state of your marriage or the state of your life, therapy is a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, just, and, and what's difficult, what's interesting, there's a really fascinating uh, research, some uh, academic research that was done in 2005 by Hawkins and Booth, and they discovered that people in long-term marriages that were deeply destructive, uh, so 10-year marriages that had a lot of unhappiness, mm -hmm. that people who divorced uh, were, whether they remarried or not, were much happier than if they had stayed. Yeah. And what's even more interesting is for those who did choose to remarry, their marriages were happier. And so um, you and and let's look at it logically. If you already proved that you had what it take takes to stay in a ten year marriage, for example, I'll just use that as yeah. an example of a very long marriage, mm -hmm. and you put up with a lot of betrayal or a mm -hmm. lot of inappropriate behavior, and you forgave and you went the extra mile over and over and over again, well, you're pretty good marriage material in reality. <laughs> I love that. So any listeners out there, give yourself a high five if you fit that category. Um, exactly. I, I have found something, as I've been thinking about this interview and approaching this interview, I've noticed some things on social media um, that can just, you know, just kind of irritate and but it's, it's irritating for me. But for somebody who's, who's gone through a really traumatic experience, I can see that this would be really extraordinarily traumatic. And that is people posting, you know, wedding anniversary pictures of their parents and going, oh, they came from a generation where you don't just give up, you know, you fix something if it's broken. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and I kind of sit back and go, oh, girlfriend, you haven't been in a long-term relationship if that's, you, you know, if you think that everything can be fixed that way. And I kind of, I mean, I remember what I was like when I got married and I was naive and I was idealistic and, you know, I was kind of approaching the world with rose-coloured glasses and eventually they do come off and um, I have a wonderful um, relationship with the father of my children. I'm so, so thankful for, especially during coronavirus when we're under the same roof all the time. <laughs> but you know life is just not simple it's just not easy so um what I'd love in these last kind of 10 minutes of this interview could you share with us a your own romance story finding your second husband I would love <laughs> to hear about that and I know it's cheeky <laughs> to ask you for, for a personal story like that but also some real keys that you've found to empowering yourself and other people when it comes to reclaiming um, their right to faith and romance and desire um, after their divorce? Well, I think for, let's take that last bit first. Um, the key, I think, is realizing that if you look clo closely at scripture, God really does allow uh, divorce uh, for certain circumstances. And mm -hmm. Uh, not just infidelity, which is what I was taught, or abandonment by an unbeliever. And mm -hmm. I, I have a whole chapter on that, so I won't go into that now. But for those who want it on Kindle or as a paperback, I've got a whole chapter on you yeah. know, the scripture verses on, on this kind of thing. Because you know, even if we walk away from the church, we really want to know that God approves of us, right? Yeah. And so those verses are worth looking at uh, again. Um, another thing I, I talk to about to people and what I try to say to them is, um, you know, God cares about you more than he cares about your marital status. Mm. Um, that you're not, you know, we all walk out of these marriages, or not all of us, but I certainly did. I was brought up very evangelical, almost fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I walked away saying, now I've got the black cloud over my head. I'll never be happy again. Mm -hmm. I have the red D for divorce on my forehead. You know, everyone's <laughs> going to see that I'm a marked woman. Um, I, my, my children will grow up to be juvenile delinquents and emotional basket cases. Uh, so we have all these, uh, yeah. all these messages that we give ourselves. And uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never find love. No one will ever want me with this baggage. <laughs> That's a big one, <laughs> uh, especially for young mothers. And you know, th these are all just natural and normal fear fears, and they're all not true. Mm -hmm. um, and the big one for those of us who really do love the Lord, even though maybe we've walked away from His church. Uh, or not his church, the you know the church local, church. the you yeah. know not, we're we're not we never walk away from the big C church, or, or some mm -hmm. of us do and some of us don't. Mm -hmm. um, but we you know we've given up on the local congregations. You know we're not disqualified from doing his will and doing his work. In fact, I think we're even more empowered. And one of the things I tell people who are new to my groups is. Okay, now that you know that God will never leave you or forsake you, and, and now that you are surrounded by a whole group of people who know exactly what you're talking about, we've yeah. all walked this lonely path, mm -hmm. and we've all come out on the other side just fine, thank you. Um, now you have a message to share with others. From day one, the, the first day they walk into my group, I tell them, you have a brand new ministry. 
your brand new ministry is that you're going to give hope and comfort to other people who are in abusive marriages, who are thinking about getting out. You don't have to encourage them. That's their own decision. Yeah. But just to tell, tell them there is life on the other side. So I would say that. And then... It, you ask me to tell my story. I don't mm -hmm. usually tell my story about oh. my... my um, so I'll, I'll tell you a very interesting... Um, I th it makes sense because people say, oh my goodness, you were single for 20 years. And it's not like I'm an unfortunate looking or I have terrible bad habits or horrible <laughs> social skills. Or um, I actually felt um, the Lord calling me to stay single until my youngest went off to college. Now, I yeah. do not under any circumstances recommend this to everyone. Mm -hmm. This is something you should do only if God really gives you a clear sign that this yeah. is what you should do because a lot of people find someone lovely pretty quickly and mm -hmm. end up having a lovely second or third marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want my story to become, you know, a, a gospel truth. And I yeah, know that sure. happens a lot with we Christians, with yeah. us Christians. But so I felt pretty early after my divorce that, uh, first of all, my divorce took uh, four years. Um, and my father was, you know, being very devout and very conservative, said you really yeah. shouldn't be dating, you know, before this thing is final. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that got a, the ball rolling. And then I felt about year two or three that I that I wanted to stay single for, for my kids. So yeah. I didn't think that um, I would even start dating until 2010. And of course, yeah. I expected God to bring someone right away. You know, yeah. look, look, God, I have been so faithful. <laughs> I have said no to so many dates. And, and so God, you owe this to me. Yeah. I expect you to bring my excellent... Well, you know, he needs to be well-educated and intelligent yes. and all these other things. Uh, you need to bring him right now because it's year it's year 15 and <laughs> I'm ready I'm ready <laughs> and you know I've slimmed down and I look good and you know so it's time to bring him God and and of course God <laughs> yeah God God never does things on my timeline and so that didn't happen and and yeah. after a while I kind of you know um, grew angry with God and uh, and and, you know, every time I'd see someone, oh, well, this must be my man. Thank you, God. Mm -hmm. And, of course, God would close the door on that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, it, it would be it would be revealed during the dating that, oh, oh, I, you know, no, this yeah. person's dangerous. They're not safe. They're not mm -hmm. loving. They're not respectful. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even want anyone to get their claws into me like that. I can't yeah. risk this. This person would destroy me and my children. Um, he yeah. wouldn't bring anything to, to the relationship. So, anyway... I had, um, during these 20 years, uh, I had uh, worked at a company and we had a, um, a consultant come and work with us mm -hmm. and he and I got to know each other and he was mm -hmm. dating someone else and I was in the middle of my 15 year plan <laughs> and um, we had one conversation while we were working together. We worked together for a couple of years and he said, 
I just don't understand why you never remarried. You're such a nice person. You're an attractive person. Why didn't you ever remarry? And I said, well, I'm on this 15-year plan, and I don't intend to remarry until after 2010. Yeah. And this was like 2006, 2007. Yeah, wow. Anyway, we lost touch. You know, yeah. we went separate ways during the big, you know, the Great Recession of 2008 yeah. and 9. And uh, he showed back up in my life again in wow. 2015. And he, uh, we had always stayed in contact on business-related matters. We had yeah. very similar interests. We were interested in uh, business acquisitions. Mm -hmm. So he just sent me a, a, some news about a, a company that was for sale. And he said, by the way, I'm coming to Los Angeles. Would you like to get together for our usual annual dinner? And I said, sure. And I didn't think anything of it. And yeah. I was wearing uh, boots and pants and a very mannish looking jacket. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> but this and guy already knew you. He already knew what you could rock. <laughs> he already knew what I was like. And anyway, it became clear that uh, there were sparks. Uh, uh, oh. After that dinner, we he, he just said, you know, I've always thought you were special. And how about it? Oh. And... Um, I said, I haven't even really thought of you for the last 10 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, <You're> not. <laughs> I'm going to need to get my mind around this. So I literally, I, it, it literally, so it was one of those very non-romantic uh, romances for the first three weeks as I really kind of, tried to get my mind around this and I went back and I looked through my journals and I had forgotten that I had written wow you know if I wasn't in this stage of my life and if oh. he wasn't dating someone this is the kind of man I could really be in love with and I had forgotten that I had even written that oh. and as I looked back through the journals and and looked at all the things I had said about him I realized Wow, I think this is a love that I've always respected him. Yeah, I think this is a love that could go the distance. Yeah, and uh, but I said, you know, I've changed so much over the last 10 years, he doesn't even really know the person who exists now. Mm -hmm. So we actually had a date where we sat down and we said, here, every, here is everything that has changed about me in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. This is full disclosure. I want you to know this up front. I want you to know exactly who I am, and you may not like it anymore. Mm. You may not like the girl I am today. And how have you changed? And he did the same. It was like oh, open kimono. Let's just yeah. tell about ourselves. Yeah. And after that, um, it became clear that this was really worth a shot. Yeah. And uh, you know, within months, we kind of knew, but um, he was. He was cautious. He'd been burned. He had been yeah. single for a long time, too. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted to wait a full year to yeah. make sure that this was really the right thing. And yeah. so, um, anyway, our families met each other and really liked each other. And it worked out very, very well. We have been so happy. I would say one other thing, as a tip to people, as uh, growing, being raised evangelical, we were taught mm -hmm. to be demure and passive. Okay, and one yeah. thing I learned was from my counseling was you put out 
all of your possible conflicts on the table and discuss them in advance early, early in the relationship, right up front. Because if you're going to fail, you want to fail fast. You don't want your heart to be engaged for a year or two years and then realize we've never discussed money. We've never discussed prenuptial agreements. We've never discussed, are we going to have adult children live with us? We've never discussed sex and how often and how much and in all different ways. We've never discussed all these different things. You've got to have those discussed right up front and crash the relationship if you can early. Yeah. This is kind of how to lose lose a guy in 10 days, the uh, intelligent edition. (laughs) 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 That's really interesting because, um, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of my tribe here and, and a lot of them are, you know, we're dealing with younger people who might not be at the end of their childbearing years. It's good to have those conversations. Do you want any more children? Could you have any more children? You know, like all of these things are important, but I I like the, I like the narrative that I'm hearing here is it's nothing to be ashamed of if you've had a divorce. Um, It's actually, you know, you can actually prove that you can stick it out through some pretty difficult stuff and you are great marriage material. And um, I'm also hearing the benefit of hindsight, you having been in this space for, you know, a lot of years, seeing a lot of couples or a lot of individuals who've had divorces go on to very healthy, very fulfilling marriages. Um, This is surely a bit of optimism that um, that Christian... uh, Christian newly single people, because <laughs> I don't like branding people with the D word. Um, surely that's something that we can take a lot of hope away from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for uh, being interview number two on Unchurchable, the podcast. Um the listeners at home, make sure that you uh, jump on your socials and find Gretchen Baskerville. Um, I'll put all of her links in uh, in my socials when this episode goes up. She's on Twitter, she's on Facebook, and very, very recently on Instagram. Um, <laughs> the book is called The Life-Saving Divorce, and it's uh, well worth a read. Like I said at the beginning of the interview, not just for people who are actually walking this journey, but also for the people who are around them and supporting them, because this is not a time where we need to heap more shame on people who have faced really difficult, and really abusive situations in a lot of cases, but a time where we need to understand them, surround them with compassion and empowerment, and remind them that the future can be a very, very bright thing. Make sure you tune in next week when I talk to Nathan Despot from The Brave Network. We are talking about LGBTQ inclusion in faith and community and we're also talking about government advocacy and bringing balance back to uh, religious freedom, which I say in air quotes. Uh, It's a very interesting conversation, so make sure you clear yourself some time to listen to that next week. Until then, keep safe, keep healthy. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable.